We arrived at Act 3 of our program, Act 3. Yes, there is a baby. This is a story that got our interest because of babysitting, but that ended up being about so many different things. A man in Florida named Myron Jones wrote us this letter. He said that when he was 16 years old, growing up without a father in Buffalo, New York, he was allowed to stay out till midnight. He came and went as he pleased. He spent a lot of time in bars. This is the 1940s, and his sister, Carol, had different rules when she was let out of the house at all, even though she was older than Myron. This story gets to babysitting in a big, big way, and we called him up to talk about it. She had to say exactly where she was going, who she was going with. She could go to church dances, but only some church dances. It all had to do with with protecting her chastity, really. Yeah. Yeah, if, if, if one were to ask your mother at the time, what would she have said? She, I think she said, um, you got to be more careful with the girls. Yeah. Spelled P-R-E-G-N-A-N-T. So my sister figured out a, a little scheme. She invented a family called the McCreary's, said they needed her to babysit. And uh, I I remember when she first told me about it, she said, listen, guess what I did? I made up a family. I said, what do you mean? I made up this family I babysit for. They're called the McCreary's. It seemed clear once I got talking to Myron Jones that his sister Carol might have a few thoughts about all this. And we gave her a call. She agreed to go into a studio and chat. She says, if anything, her brother was understating just how strict their mother was with her. She used to follow me. She had a friend. We called them Sam Spade and the Fat Man. And they would follow us. And then I'd go home and, and she'd come in and say, well, where have you been? I, it, it was... It was really, really hard. She didn't believe anything I ever said. And, and were you a pretty good, you know, kid, good, good student in school? I was. I, I, you know, for a long time, I thought that oh, I, I was terrible. My mother started calling me a whore before I had any idea what the word was, and I couldn't look it up because I didn't know how it was was spelled. I couldn't find it. Wow. And so. It occurred to me that if I had a family, a non-existent family, um, I could go. I could say I was going there. Carol started working out the details because whenever she babysat, my mother had to have the phone number so she could check up on her. So, the 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 man in the family was an FBI agent working on a top secret project, so he could not give his phone number to anyone at all. He also couldn't let anyone but, but my sister, the babysitter, know just where they lived. It would, would have been dangerous for him to do so. So, um, so, so how, how far did this go? How complicated did the story of the McCurries get? It, it got very complicated. 
they had two kids. Michael was three and Laura was two. Mm-hmm. It happened to be the age separation between my sister and myself, but it was reversed. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the, the, the little boy in particular would, would uh, try to test us, and I'd let him get away with it, but my sister wouldn't. And they had all kinds of toys, but not too many toys. Um, and they, they liked their parents very much, loved their parents. They were easy. They weren't spoiled in any way. And They sound like very special kids. Oh, yeah, they were great. Yeah, they were like no kids I ever met, really. I think, I think in many ways they they had the life my sister wished that we'd had. I had them rent a cottage at the lake for the summer. So the so the McCreary's had a, had a summer house. Ah yes. <laughs> and and did they require your services at the summer house? Oh the yes, indeed. They they knew that the kids would enjoy it so much more if we were there, and it was we because both my brother and I always liked little kids a lot, you know. So my mother would accept this quite readily, you know, that um, that they wanted the both of us out at the lake. <laughs> it was wonderful. We had such a good summer. I mean, it was it was glorious. Well, was, what would you do? Well, we just we sometimes if we knew someone out there, sometimes kids we knew would have cottages. You know, kids used to get together and chip in, or their parents would have a cottage. Sometimes we'd just sleep on the beach. Which was great. I loved that. I loved sleeping on the beach. I have to say, every time you talk about uh, the freedom you got, your voice becomes completely different. (laughs) It's like you can still taste it. I still remember what that was like. It offered freedom that was just so wonderful to me. really got all of this from from our mother this notion of fantasy people our mother had from the time we were young kids I mean, younger than 10 our mother had three people that she went to see none of whom existed and we always knew they didn't exist really yeah who, who were they one was a lawyer and she wouldn't say what she was doing there but she dropped little hints and what we were supposed to believe was that that was making arrangements to put us in the orphanage. The second person she saw was a, a, a psychiatrist, um, which she pronounced psychiatrist. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And she went there because he would tell her that we were driving her crazy. I see. And the third person was a doctor who told her she was going to die. And she, we have no idea where, in fact, she went, but she was never gone long enough to see anyone at all. So in other words, she would literally, this wasn't just something she would say to you. Well, I've been to a psychiatrist, and he tells me that, you're driving, that you guys are driving me crazy. She would actually leave the house and yeah. go to her appointment? Yeah, she'd say, she'd say, she'd go for the door. And when we were very young, we'd say, where are you going, Ma? Because it was so unusual for her to go out except to work. And she'd say, wouldn't you like to know? Oh, okay. Is it your doctor? As we got older, she'd say, maybe. Um, and so th- that was her that was her game. In retrospect, where where do you think she was going? 
I have no idea. I think she walked around the block a couple of times. So, so at some point, your mother must have wanted to to meet them, right? No, she was she was shy. Isn't the word for her, but she didn't like knowing people at all. Hmm. She didn't know the people next door. She didn't want to know them. So she was really deliberately isolated. But the McCreary's were far and away a favorite topic of conversation. Our mother would ask questions about them, and then Carol would give her far more information than she asked for. Say, say, more, say, say more of what you remember of, of what she would tell them. Well, she one was a, Mrs. Mrs. McCreary was was very intelligent and and uh, lovely and very kind and and, and uh, she was my sister's fantasy of, of a mother. Yeah. And she was my fantasy of an older woman who might fall in love with me and with any luck at all seduce me. So wait, so would you talk about it with your mom too? Yeah, my my sister started that. I was I was a little uncomfortable about it. My sister said, um, "I think he's got a crush on her," and I and I would would almost blush uh, uncomfortably because I did. <laughs> and then your mom would ask you questions. For example, well, what color hair does she have? <laughs> no, she didn't ask questions like that. She she never asked questions like that. So what would she ask? She she'd say, "Well, I hope you I hope you act right over there. What do they think of you?" And then the question she, to this day, asks, oh, what do they think of your mother? And, and uh, Carol would say, give the right answer, which was, they think you're wonderful. It was a, it was a way of having a conversation with her. And a kind of in-depth conversation. That's right. She liked to hear about uh, fancy people. She imagined somehow that that uh, maybe we would all rub off on, on Carol. Huh, that they'd be a good influence somehow. They'd be a good influence, and there might even be some money in it. But Carol also handled, because she wasn't getting any money from babysitting, she said that Mr. McCreary was taking all the babysitting money and putting it into stocks and bonds. Wait, 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 hold it, just, just back up. <laughs> yeah. Carol, Carol knew she was going to ask that. She anticipated it. But Carol said before it could even come up, Carol said, Mr. McCreary isn't going to pay me. He's going to put all my babysitting money into stocks and bonds. Uh, my mother didn't know anything about stocks and bonds, and neither did we. But my mother knew that that's what rich people did. And it was over on the other side of town, the rich side of town. Right. Uh, my mother didn't know anything about that neighborhood. She was the oldest of seven children, grew up in a very, really poor family. My mother had one friend who who, who was middle class, who she'd met when my father was still alive. And she, and she influenced my mother. And so did the people that my mother um, cleaned for. The end of the service, the last weekend, 
and th- and that was near the real change in the McCreary time. Well, what happened at the end of the summer? We we really were exhausted from our from our summer from our real summer weekends. And the strenuous work of having fun with your friends. Yeah, right. And and those times when there was no cottage to go to, and we'd sleep out on the beach, and and uh, we were going home, and 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 we headed up the back stairs. We always had to go in the back way. We headed up the back stairs. We lived on the second floor, mm-hmm. and we could tell before we turned the corner that our mother was outside the door, waiting for us. And we turned, and there she was, and she looked ready to kill. She looked absolutely furious. She said, well, how are you too, Ben? And I thought, oh, God, she found out all about the summer cottage stuff. And Carol said, you know where we've been, Ma, to McCreary's. And my mother said, oh, yeah, have, have, yeah. Well, you are a couple of damn liars. I just got off the phone with Mrs. McCreary. She hasn't seen you in weeks. My brother and I agree. We didn't breathe. We thought, oh my God, she's talked to them. And then, as quickly you realize, of course she didn't talk to them. Carol got over it immediately and said, sorry, Ma, nice try. We just left the McCreary's ten minutes ago. Went in the house. My mother didn't say anything to us. We didn't say anything to her for the rest of the afternoon. And after that, we really stopped talking about the McCreary's. Did she often claim that she'd run into the McCreary's? Ah, uh, yes, that she talked to her, that she hadn't seen me. She did it so often. She believed this. It was amazing that. She never questioned these things. Well, why do you think she didn't question it? I think she wanted it to be true probably as much as I did. It, it, it's interesting. When you, invented, um, when you invented them, it's as if you invented them in terms that would reassure your mom. Yeah, I'm, I probably did. I, I don't think that... Well, you know, it did. I'm sure it did occur to me that I wanted a family that would please her. Is that because um, is that because it w- it would make her more likely to let you out, or was there a part of it where you also were the kind of kid where you always needed to be reassuring her anyway? Oh, I had to constantly reassure her, always. You know, I mean, it it, it isn't something I talk easily about, but the, that she really never liked me. That was a problem. Is your mom still alive? Yeah. So, so, uh, so, how old is she now? Ninety-four. How old are you? I'm going to be seventy in another ten days. So, have have you ever um, come clean with her on this? No, no, never. Do you do, do you want me to make my mother look like a liar? <laughs> well, in a sense, you already have. It's just a question of whether she's going to know it. <laughs> never crossed my mind to do it. Are you serious? It's never crossed your mind? To tell her, no, never. 
because she wouldn't be able to laugh about it, it sounds like. Not in any way. She might simply say that we were lying now, that there were McCreary's. Hmm. And uh, we were just saying that for some reason. Does it make you sad that you can't have the kind of relationship with your mom where now that everyone's an adult, you know, you can't, you can't come, come straight with all of it? Um, no. My sister and I, I think because of, I th- because of going away to school when I was so young. Let me back up a little bit. When I was nine, I came home on a Saturday afternoon, and my mother said, I'm sorry you weren't here because uh, Father Sager, who was an Episcopal priest, was here visiting, and he found a very nice orphanage for you. And, and, and I said, but I'm not an orphan, Ma. She said, no, I know, I told Father Sager that, but he said, really you are, because I have to work all the time, and you go there, it'd be a good place for you, you go there. I was close to, I was in my 30s before I understood why I, why I went away to school when I was 10. I didn't have to. I could have not, I could have screwed up the test. I could have gone and gotten kicked out right away. I, I knew that. One of the things that our mother did with us um, from the time we were very young, I, I can't remember before, but I know before I went to school, our mother used to say to us, when your father died, everybody told me to put the two years in an orphanage. I didn't. And that was the biggest mistake of my life. So when when the day came, I came home, she said, Father Seger found an orphanage for you. What I really did was say, you've been threatening me with this all my life, and now, damn it, I'm going to go. Yeah. And, and, uh, and it felt safer. Hmm. I was scared as hell. I was, I was one of two kids in the sixth grade. The other kid never showed up. I went to all classes alone for six weeks. And, and, and after six weeks, I, I, I went home. And I was, it, was a, it, was a, it was late October, already dark in, in Buffalo, and around supper time, and I was walking down the street, and I loved my neighborhood. I knew everybody. And I looked, the, the lights were on, thinking, see, that's, it's warm in there. There's people, that's, in there. that's Sonny Colucci's house. It's his house in there. They're, they're in there. And I have a house, too. I go to school now, but I have a house, too. And I'm almost there. And I walked in the door, and I started to hug my mother. And my mother put out her hand to hold me back and said, Let me ask you a question. When you're up there at that fancy school, you ever think about your mother lying here in bed, crying her eyes out every single night? You ever think about that? No, you never think about anybody but yourself. And I literally, from that moment on, have never asked my mother for anything, never looked to her for anything. How old were you then? I was 10. Through the years, 
have truly envied him that, that he has been able to do that. I haven't been able to this moment to just take her out of my life completely. How often do you see her now? Do I see her? Yeah. Uh, I am now seeing her twice a week. I mean, I I call her every night, which is all all something to do with me because um, she doesn't know that I call her every night. Because um, she, she's becoming senile. Yes. Yeah. Yes. What What do you think uh, you've gotten by being the one caring for her? Um. One time when I was thirty-five, I lashed out at her in such a way, and told her how I felt about her, and she sat in a chair in the kitchen, and she was crying, and I'd never even seen her cry before. And when I finally stopped talking, she said, I did the very best I could. And I thought, oh my God, she did. Her best was so bad. Her best was so empty. But she couldn't do any better. I I decided, and it helps me a lot. I have a great aunt that I just adored. And her mother, my mother's mother, who was wonderful and my great-grandmother, who I didn't know but who adored my mother, my mother slept in bed with her. I thought, I'm going to do this for the people that loved her. You know, yeah. all of the people that really loved this little girl, I'm going to do it for them. Hmm. Now, that feels, that feels fine to me. You know, you know what you're describing is 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 you and your sister going off and, and pretending uh, to babysit for these imaginary kids. But in fact, you guys had a babysitting job, and it was for your mom. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, my sister was the chief babysitter there. Really, it's true. When you were kids, did you ever see it that way? Oh, we're we're taking care of mom. She thinks she's taking care of us, but we're taking care of her. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, there was a, there was a kind of, of of humoring her and placating her, and and uh, when I was about ten, um, she gave me a, a first baseman's glove because I was going to be a major league ball player when I grew up, and she said, "You you you tell people uh, who, who gave you the glove, I said, yeah, you 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 tell them how much it cost." I didn't, but I said, yeah. Did you tell him how long I had to work to buy that? I said, yeah. She said, you did not. <laughs> well, let's set the record straight. Here we go. You're on the radio. H- how long did your mother have to work to buy you the baseball glove? She had to work a week. That's a long time. Absolutely. Representative, I've thought about it since then. Have I ever given my kids a present that I... It was worth a week's wages? No, I haven't. Mr. John, what would have happened if there hadn't been the McCleary's? I, I, the, the McCleary's seemed absolutely inevitable. I never thought about what would happen if they hadn't been there. Wow. They're, 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 they had to be there. I... I, I I still think 
they would be in, in let's see, they're three, two, three, they would be 56, 57 years old. I've, I've wondered where they're living, how they're doing. Oh, where do you picture them? I, I picture them uh, doing very well and and um, and kind of dull now. Really? Yeah. I don't picture them as being terribly interesting. Hmm. They're more conservative than their parents. But nice, pleasant, good people. Well, well, where, where do you think they're living? I, I, I'm afraid I think they're living in Florida. They are. Not too far from, from where, you, where y'all are. <laughs> I may run into them in the store. Myron Jones and his sister Carol Bove live in Florida. There is no way, they say, that their mother will ever hear about this radio story.